Welcome to Renegade Inc. The only person who won 2020 was the lead advisor to the Conservative Party, Rafe Hubris, BA Oxen. Rafe, by his own admission, is the most promising 24-year-old in the country and definitely the most classic. Rafe Hubris, great to have you, Renegade Inc. Ross, how are we? Hope you're uh, feeling very well. Testing negative, but feeling positive. You've uh, colossally mismanaged this pandemic. Uh, why? Well, define mismanage. I mean, I think semantically that's a really interesting question. I mean, the way that I would look at that is, you know, challenge your language and say, you know, rather than mismanage, take away the miss. I've managed it very, very, very well. Okay, so 1.9 million cases to date, 65,000 deaths and counting. Yeah. And you saying that this is actually a success story? Well, you know, the thing I would say about that, you know, the death numbers is that, um, the, the, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, Ross, but uh, everyone dies. So, um, you know, people that, yes, sure, they died, but they were going to die anyway at some point. So uh, really, we've just sort of uh, made the inevitable happen quicker, which, um, you know, for the, for, the, for the sake of their families, uh, will allow them to sort of get over it faster. And uh, generally, it seems like a better tactic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we've done well. The Tory party sometimes uh, is, uh, well, in fact, most of the time levelled as being uh, the nasty party. No compassion. The Nazi party? Or the, so, nasty. Or the nasty party. Well, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. I mean, you know, that was your... Freudian slip, I think. But do you see that lack of compassion shining through uh, when you think about how you've mismanaged this thing? Uh, I mean, no, absolutely not, mate. I mean, I think, you know, I think the thing you, you realise when you sort of uh, look at a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the, the good guys or the bad guys, uh, the, the Conservative Party the politicians, um, is that, you know, they are, they're incredibly compassionate. I mean, you know, uh, Govey um, tried to get a, get a test uh, just for his daughter, um, you know, when, when, it was, um, when it was much more difficult to get tested. I mean, that's compassionate. I mean, and, you know, I'm really nice to a lot of my mates. Uh, I managed to palm them a lot of cashish. Uh, you know, I mean, there was that guy who got 150 million quid for the uh, for that papier mâché PPE, and I mean, that's that's an incredibly compassionate, nice thing to do. So, uh, so I think um, I think that's a little bit uh, a little bit misdirected. I mean, I'm a, I'm a great chap. Jacob Rees-Mogg, though, hardly the friendly face of the Conservative Party. Ah, oh, Mogg the dog. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, the thing about Mogg the dog is, you know, sure, he says he says some stuff every now and again, and we're like, oh, that's a little bit, but. He's, you know, he's very polite. Pretty Patel? Yeah, Bully Patel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know, Bully Patel is absolutely classic. I mean, a lot of people have said, you know, she, um, she's a bully. Now, is it bullying to, uh, you know, is it bullying to, to throw a stapler at the head of Matt in his hands? Um, no, I mean, that is classic. I mean, everyone would admit that is an absolutely hilarious thing to do. I don't think it makes her a bully. I mean, I think that just makes her, that's just her sense of humour, mate, you know? Like if I were to slap you across, sorry. Yeah, that's, uh, sorry, as a dealer. Um, if I were to slap you across the face right now, that would be classic. I mean, it's just, it's just the way that I, I'm saying, listen, I like you, so I'm gonna flush your head down the toilet for, for an hour, cause, uh, cause it's funny. Uh, so what does a typical Rafe Hubris day look like? You're right there in the bowels of government, you know, levers of power, yeah, writing yeah, speeches. Yeah, 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 yeah. What does it look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, uh, so a lot of it is... A lot of it is that, I mean, uh, I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm in fairly regular contact with Blowjit, not in person, normally sort of on the WhatsApp, because he doesn't really work in the week. Um, but he does send me some uh, pretty hilarious uh, photos. In fact, I've got one. Got one there. He can't show it on camera, but uh, look at that. I mean, that's... that's yeah, that is... 
insane yeah uh so yeah i mean he does a lot of that stuff i mean i write a lot of his speeches um but yeah i mean it's pretty chill i mean that's the best thing i mean you know i've worked so little for the amount i've been paid and i've still managed to do such a brilliant job that um you know i think that really sort of uh, reveals something that's endemically excellent about the political system you're at pains to point out that you were educated at oxford uh, and uh, you wear that badge quite heavily and yeah, 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 yeah. why do you want and to i wear it very well yeah. why do you want to tell us this so much and how did you get there how did you get well i think um, into oxford well i i i, I, I the thing is ross um if, if you went to oxford uh and i did um the thing you realize and the thing that they tell you when you leave is that you must every third sentence mention it to people otherwise they won't realize and they won't know this guy is an oxford grad what he has to say is um is incredibly important um, so yeah, I mean that's, 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 I'm just, you know, it's sort of a bit like uh, Rudyard Kipling's White Man's Burden. It's the Oxford Man's Burden. You know, you've got to, you've got to spread the word and civilize the people who have inferior degrees from polytechnics like Durham and Exeter. Um, but you know, the thing I would say is, you know, why do I need to tell people that I went to Oxford? Well, it's because, you know, the thing I learned there was you don't have to be uh, intelligent or have experience in something. You know, if you've gone to those institutions, you are entitled. Well, you are entitled, but uh, you're entitled to walk in somewhere and just get the job done. And, you know, and, 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 you know, you might not be good at it. You might not be able to do it very well. But because you went to that institution, that is enough. If you think about the pandemic, uh, how what would you have done differently? Because obviously very capable. You did PPE at Oxford. Yes, but, I did. Uh, but yeah, inability yeah, yeah, to get yeah. PPE to frontline workers. Is there well, any correlation there? Well, you know, I think well, yeah, what you know, Theresa May said was, uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's no magic money tree, but there is a magic money PPE, incidentally, and uh, you know, it was a really good way to help out a couple of mates, you know, uh, because I think ultimately that's what sort of politics should be, just sort of helping out your friends, um, and, and yeah, we managed that very well. I mean, yeah, other things we would have changed over the course of the pandemic, um, not really. I think it's gone pretty well. Uh, I think we we did a pretty good job. Um, I guess you would know. You, would you have changed Mac Hancock? The thing with Mac in his hands is, uh, yeah, look, I mean, you know, the guy is, uh, I mean, he's, he's a bit of a, he's, he's, he's a disaster. I mean, his normal speaking voice, as, as both you and I know, he, he looks like he's being, well, looks and sounds like he's being on a Japanese game show, which is, uh, which is unfortunate. But, you know, what I would say about Matt is uh, it takes, it takes uh, to, you know, go out there every day, uh, make a speech up. On the on the hoof and uh, and sell it every time and he's and he's really really good at you know not doing any of the work but just just going in there like a lamb to the slaughter so for that I commend him. Did you advise him to fake cry on breakfast television? Absolutely, mate. I mean, you know, as as I've said, the uh, the whole the whole his normal speaking voice thing is uh, you know that is that is that is an absolute train wreck. I and mean, we tried having him laugh uh, you know in front of Kay Burley, and he just sort of looked like uh, you know an arrogant. So, yeah, I mean, the crying thing, well, basically what we thought is, you know, if he's crying, he can't be scrutinized. And, uh, and that makes him look very, very, very good. Uh, and I think, you know, he, he acted it very well. He's clearly a very, very good actor. And he definitely didn't look like a sort of, you know, snot-nosed year six explaining to his parents tearfully that he bombed all of his sats. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron said that uh, your old boss, Dominic Cummings, was a career psychopath. What was it like uh, working under... Dominic Cummings. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have that much contact with Dom because Dom. Yeah. Doesn't seem to me that you have contact with anybody. You don't speak to the prime minister. You don't speak to the special advisor. But... Well, I, well, I mean, the thing is, they, they sort of know how good the job I'm doing. They just sort of say, Rafe, get on with it. And you know, that, that's the thing. It's sort of that Oxbridge understanding of, you know, you know what you're doing, so you can just 
smash it, and and I do. Um, but I mean, I do really see Dom that often. I mean, Dom tends to sort of communicate uh, through a team of. Um, well, uh, homeless children and uh, communication vols, and they basically will sort of scrawl Norse symbols above your laptops and at your workstation in, in CCHQ uh, to sort of um, give an assessment of your uh, of your performance because he's watching all the time via those via those uh, people. And, so he's not and in animals. the office. Well, well, I mean, well, he's the, now not in the office. He's been fired. I mean, the, I mean, the question is, yeah, yeah, but what is Dominic Cummings? Is Dominic Cummings actually a man, or is he just a sort of a concept that helps us reassess what conventional wisdom is? I mean, I went into the toilet at number ten once for a bit of a. And, um, you know, someone, I think on behalf of Dominic Cummings, had scrawled conventional wisdom is for And, you know, but maybe he's sort of like Banksy. You know, you don't know who he is, but he's there to sort of make you reconsider stuff. It's pretty clever if you think about it. So Dominic Cummings gets kicked out. Yeah. Because uh, um, your second boss, Carrie Simons, yeah. Prime Minister's Well, the, wife, first, the, the real Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, Carrie Simons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have a spat. He leaves. He gets 45,000 quid when he leaves. Yeah. The average nurse in the UK earns £33,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. Can't you see that how this looks to the public? Well, I mean... Why does he get forty-five grand? Well, it's a fair point. I mean, what we've got to consider is we spent a lot of our valuable time clapping, uh, you know, women like that NHS worker who, uh, who gets 33k. And, you know, clapping costs money, so we can't just sort of hand out money, you know, to people who we've clapped. Dom didn't get any applause when he left, so that is worth 45k, you know, just 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 for him. Um, so you, got, I mean, we want to consider these things. I mean, obviously, um, I mean, I didn't, and no one in the Conservative Party, apart from Boris in front of the cameras, actually did clap for carers. We uh, we bellowed for Booper the following day on a, on a Friday afternoon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't clap for someone, then uh, you've got to pay them more. So applause, you're monetizing applause. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I mean, think about the mental health benefits that the NHS worker would have felt because a load of Tory MPs, uh, you know. I mean, it just, don't you feel better? Sorry, my hands hurt from handing out money to my friends. Post-pandemic, yeah. now you've got Brexit. Yeah, have yeah, you given yeah, that yeah. any thought? Have you had a look at Brexit? To be honest, mate, um, no. Uh, well, I mean, it was on my desk sort of six months ago. I was, because I was an intern six months ago, and I managed to sort of work my way, you know, to the top um, via, you know, hard work and um, my dad. Well, I, I mean, you know, you can call it nepotism. Uh, basically, my dad knows a lot of guys at the top. If that's nepotism, then uh, I guess I'm a nepotist. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly concerned about it. I don't know if there's some sort of deadline, but you know, even if we miss the deadline. Um, it won't affect me or, or any of my mates, probably. So, um, so you know, there's, there's, yeah, I'm not really worried. So, what about man and woman on the street? The working man, the working woman. Oh no, you see, yeah, uh, God, yeah, sorry, yeah, the man and the woman on the street, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the real question is, do they actually matter, or certainly do they actually matter as much as you know the people in the CBD? Oh, sorry, is that? Yeah. She's, uh, she's a bit old for Blasio. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think, do they matter as much as the chaps? Uh, I, I think the answer to that is, 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 is probably no. So, um, yeah, sure. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll look after them if we've got time. But uh, I think the most important thing is to focus on the people that, that really matter. One thing that a lot of people are very worried about is uh, British fishing. Uh, the British fishing yeah. industry, how much uh, thought have you given that? And uh, a specific question is, how are you going to protect British uh, fishing waters from the French? 
Well, um, I mean, the, the advantage that we have is that I own a lot of those waters because uh, my family actually owns uh, Torsa Island just, just off Scotland and, and a lot of those places. And uh, yeah, we're pretty draconian at stopping people from uh, you know, coming in and, and stealing our salmon. I mean, you know, salmon is a very important industry. I love smoked salmon. I mean, that's really important. And, and you know, where would Pret be without, without that? So um, yeah, it's obviously top of our priority list because if Pret goes under, I mean, we might as, we might as well just, just kill ourselves. So 2021, uh, optimistic? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we've got this, uh, this vaccine now uh, produced by uh, Oxford University, which is where I studied for three years. I was yeah. a student there. I have a degree from Oxford. You haven't mentioned um, it. So that's obviously very, very encouraging. Um, and, you know, I'm sure based on how everything's gone prior to this point that we won't find some sort of way to muck that up either. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be distributed very quickly. We're still trying to get it out to Booper first and, uh, you know, prioritize places based on income as to where, you know, people that get it. Because, um, I mean, if you think about it, there's a real logic to that, actually, because, you know, people who earn more money are worth more. You know, it's just a, just a fact. I mean, you know, that's what everyone in my party believes and anyone with you know, any sense belief. And, um, so walk me through that. You're going to target the high net worth individuals yeah, first, yeah, give them yeah, the yeah, vaccine. Yeah, 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 Where yeah. do the uh, hungry school kids come uh, when it comes to the vaccine? Well, uh, is, I don't, is there... it depends if they live, you know, I mean, maybe they don't. Uh, and then, and then that, that solves that problem because you don't have to worry about vaccinating, you know, someone, someone that's dead. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ideally that would be, uh, that would be what happens. Wow, compassion. Uh, and so the uh, vaccine goes to high net worth individuals first yeah, and yeah, the rationale yeah, yeah, yeah. is... The rationale is they're worth more because they, they earn more money. Uh, they're certainly much more classic. And generally, you know, people with money, anyone who's ever been around people with lots and lots of money will know they are great company. So you want to keep these guys, you want to keep those guys alive. Josh Barry, welcome. Thank you very much. Rafe Hubris is horrific. <laughs> Absolutely horrific. He's only 20% away from me. That's the, that's the strategy. Is, is that right? You only write what you know. You must have bumped into these people all the time, Oxford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've come across uh, a lot of people like that, I think. Implacable self-confidence. Yeah, complete. Well, hence, hence the surname Hubris is, you know, just insane. And um, absolutely zero ability. <laughs> Well, I think it's because our, I, I, the, the reason for that is, and it's a mockery of um, Oxbridge confidence, I mean, obviously, and uh, the, the, the joke is it's because we have this society that seems to be predicated on um, assert your confidence over ability, and that, and that seems to sell, that seems to get you into high positions, and, and it's supposed to be a parody of that. Yeah, uh, but Boris Johnson it does exactly that. I mean, this is why he's prime minister. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. in some way blame the guys that have I got news for you because they sort of softened him up and made him cuddly and funny and all that stuff. And now look, we've got a total incompetent number ten. Yeah, it's it, it's difficult that one on, on based on sort of who you blame, whether it, whether it is the producers for Have I Got News for You or whether, or whether we sort of. People did this with Savile, right? Afterwards, lots of people who interviewed Savile were like, oh no, I humanised him, and, and Louis Theroux did that uh, particularly. But then, you know, these people are clever. He's, he's a clever, he was playing a very clever comic persona, and you sort of think, well, 
I can maybe see why they fell for that. The brilliance about the Rafe Hubris character is the way you've positioned him. Uh, he is the puppet master, basically. It was that, obviously, that's a conscious choice to put him in the heart of government and then start dancing these people around. Yeah, well, it, it actually came from, in the run-up to the election in, in, in 2019, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this, but Michael Gove, Stormzy said something very vocally against Boris Johnson, and he's obviously a big critic of Boris Johnson, and, and Michael Gove was asked about it, and he tweeted Stormzy's lyrics back at him um, to sort of diss Stormzy back, and it, I just thought it seemed so unbelievably tone deaf that I thought oh it would be perfect because who, who would tell this person that that's a good idea and I thought oh yeah I, I, you know I'll phone him up and be like hey, hey Govey it's Rafe listen mate tweet out some grime lyrics people love it the mandem will really vote for us and the, and the joke is I mean obviously they, they had an enormous majority so clearly it wasn't that terrible a move but it just seemed so tone deaf to me satirically uh, there's never been a more important time in the UK uh, but unfortunately a lot of the satire that we see punches down and punches hard when it should be punching up and punching brutally um, what's your view on where we are sort of satirically as a nation I think we're in a, an interesting position where I think uh, Television companies seem to be quite afraid of of going for stuff that is perceived to be edgy, which is which is uh, kind of what people say when when satire really bites. I think, you know, because arguably the best satire is what it makes you uncomfortable. It's like what Frankie Boyle does. It's like you know he he, he makes people feel uncomfortable because he's revealing truth that they feel, oh God, that is injustice, that is wrong. You know, and I, yeah, I don't really think the satire that we're seeing a lot at the moment does do that. Why is that? You know, economic times are quite fragile at the moment because of COVID and, and you, you want to put, you want to earn some money. And, you know, I think- So it, people are, there's a chilling effect, people are scared of what's- Well, yes, yeah, it, it, it takes bravery to, to risk, you know, to, to say, risk saying something because it, that's sometimes inherently, it's inherently divisive to say something uh, new and different and interesting, right? So you end up with the sort of fairly uh, soft, gummy satire that, that, that is just about, I mean, it's what, you know, that very famous Chris Morris interview where he says it's about placating the court. You know, you say something, I think I'm quoting him, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, you, you, you give a very nice dissection of how things are in the orthodox elite and you get patted on the back by the orthodox elite. You say, jolly good, can you do us another? And, and to, I mean, to be fair... All I heard was spitting image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, uh, I, I'm not going to comment on that, but uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult with, with, with a lot of those shows because they're, yeah, they're, I think they're just afraid of, of, they're afraid of criticism and I think satire is supposed to be, I mean, if you look at someone like Sasha Baron Cohen, who's such a satirical genius, you have to, it has to be able to be misinterpreted. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like people might look at someone like Bruno and be like, oh, that's homophobic to, for a straight man to, to do an impression of a gay man. But it's not about that. It's about eliciting homophobic bigotry and saying, hey, look, look at, look at how people think. Coming back to the Ray Hubris character, um, he, that implacable self-confidence um, and the casual cruelty. You know, he doesn't care about uh, free school meals, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Where's his vulnerability? Because, you know, often when you see that character and you meet these people, yeah. um, you also see somebody who's desperately insecure yeah, and, sure. and wants to be loved by everybody. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it is precisely that. I, I was saying to someone the other day, like, Rafe, Rafe wants to be your friend. He's, you know, like, brilliant, much more sophisticated, better characters than mine, but Alan Partridge, uh, you know, Alan Partridge is uppity and difficult and would be uh, fairly objectionable in our, in our, in our company. Whereas Rafe, want, he wants to be your mate. You know, he wants to go on a night out with you and, and all that. Um, and, and yeah, but it, it comes from it. It comes from just, I think these people, they have a really set idea of who their clan is. 
and you want to stick to that. You know, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be out out of that out of that grouping. And so he, he's just desperate to be accepted, I suppose. In a country that is absolutely riven by class and because of raging inequality, that class war is uh, daily more and more intense. At the moment, we seem to be in a class war and, and uh, arguably a culture war. Uh, certainly, people like to sort of really you know, stoke up that rhetoric that we're in a, you know, it's woke versus traditional values or however you perceive that. Um, you know, and you've got sort of Lawrence Fox on one side and then, <laughs> and, and then the, the, the hard left, apparently the hard left on the other, and it's only those two perspectives. I mean, that's what a lot of people would have you believe. But yeah, I think it does, but it's, but it's a difficult one because it's not really, it kind of isn't really a war. It's just that it's the people in power just on the people from the north and the working class, right? There's not really any change in that sense. And I think it just seems authentic for someone that looks and sounds like me to, um, to communicate that because you know it is a real reality. I love uh, the line in your stand-up where you say um, you walk out and you say don't worry I'd try to avoid me at a party. I look like exactly the type of person I'd avoid. Yeah 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 I think um, I think but I think in many ways that's Rafe I think Simon Evans has a really good line that the sort of the character that you or characters you create are sort of what you fear or what you see yourself uh, becoming and you're scared about that, you know? So I th it's like all so of the So you've worst. created this whole character just so you don't become this character? I think... Because yeah. you could have been a management consultant at McKinsey and become this guy. Yeah, quite possibly. I think, but you know, I, I, I love, uh, I, I find, I think, I think the thing about Rafe is that some of his jokes are funny. I mean, you know, I think he has likable elements. He's not completely, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, this guy's the worst in the world. And yeah, when he's doing the hard stuff, like, oh yeah, f the children, yeah, who cares about that? That is awful. But he, um, but I think he's a sort of, yeah, he's, I think you have to see some humanity in these characters and he, he has a sort of sensitive side and a wanting to be accepted. You know, side of him as well. So, what next for Rafe? What does he do? Where does he go? I mean, because another four years of the Tories, so you've got a load of material in front of you. Yeah. Uh, if they get voted out, I doubt that he'd be advising Sir Keir Starmer. Um, what, what does he? What, what does he? What does Rafe do now? What's his trajectory? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one uh, of the lines that. I've used for this is that he's, he's sort of views himself as on the fabled Tory life trajectory, which is a uh, good school, Oxford, uh, Westminster, MP, PM, uh, public speaking circuit, uh, you know, consultancy, uh, celebrity bake off or goggle box and then death. And that is, that's, so he's on that trajectory. So I what's think, next? What's, he, what's his Well, next I guess bit? Westminster for a while, but I think maybe columnist. I think the advantage is he could become a columnist and just, you know, he's, you know, he's a parody of right wing rhetoric as much as anything. I think that the joy is that he can just kind of hoover up a lot of the, the amusing aspects of the right that you see at the moment, like Lawrence Fox creating his own political party and Toby Young and the Free Speech Union and all that stuff. Um, they're, they're, you know, that sort of faux victimhood thing that, that a lot of powerful white men are claiming at the moment, um, which, you know, is, is, that's, a, that's a complicated discussion, but I think there's something amusing about the fringes of it where they're like, oh, you're attacking me because I'm white, you know. So, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of areas that you can go in terms of just hoovering up that right-wing rhetoric and a lot of forums you can put them in as well. The sort of, um, that type of character claims this victimization and marginalization and you know if he, if he gets called a gammon then oh my god all hell that's yeah, loose. Yeah, yeah. Why have they adopted that so hard, that victimhood do you think? Why have the guys who've been incredibly privileged, economic advantages everywhere, the right network, nepotism and all the rest of it, mm. why, why have they said actually no, woe is me? I, 
I think social media has a lot to do with it. I mean, obviously, the, the reality of, uh, of Twitter is that anyone can create an account and uh, can go and tell you what they think about you. As I think any comedian knows, you're very aware <laughs> that people will tell you uh, what they've been thinking. And I think that, that means that um, a lot of these guys in powerful positions are subject to feedback in a way that they haven't been before. And don't get me wrong, that's not a pleasant thing for anyone to receive. So I'm not suggesting that it's easy for them to, to deal with. I think they've just, they've just noticed the, the power of victimhood, which, is, which is, is an incredibly powerful thing in society and was you know, popularized by Donald Trump so, so brilliantly as president, you know, oh, they're attacking me, they're doing terrible things. You know, that, that, that is his whole shtick. Skit. Yeah, that's his shtick, yeah. Because if you're a victim, people, people listen to your testimony more than if you're a perpetrator, right? Uh, so it makes, it makes sense. There's a lot of sort of vitriol on the far left and an aggression towards towards these people so I suppose you're seeing a, a comparative aggressive counter reaction but yeah we seem to have lost nuance a little bit because of the way that, that, that social media has created such polarity and, and, that, and, and that's uh, depressing because you feel like the, the best satire that gets across nuance and subtlety seems to be undervalued like for, to my, for my money who is America by Sacha Baron Cohen and he doesn't seem like necessarily the most subtle because some of his stuff is so sort of uh, pantomime but um, I mean it's brilliant he did such an, uh, such an impressive uh, parody of a liberal character which was, which was so nuanced but so on the nose. I stopped in South Carolina to dine with a couple who suffer from white privilege. We would traditionally say grace is that all right with you? In my household, we normally start with a uh, first people chant. Uh, may we? Sure. Of Amen. Amen. So um, when does the Renaissance start? When does British satire come and start to, you know, bite again? I don't, I mean, you know, I, I'm not the... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm only putting the future of British satire on Yeah, your right. I, and I don't, uh, yeah. So I good think... luck with it. So if you could knock up a couple of series, we'd really enjoy that. I mean, quite possibly the, uh, the answers to that question probably doesn't rest with a, with a white, posh Oxford male. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with satire, that it seems to be monopolized by that. But, but a, lot, you know, a lot has been said about it. A lot has been said about what it is. And I think you get people who are very assured about what satire is. And that Chris Morris interview, for example, is very... Uh, you know, certain that it must come from an outsider perspective, which I think is true. But I think people are very sort of uh, dogmatic about what satire is without it necessarily being defined that clearly. But what I would say is, I mean, you know, obviously, obviously a really big thing is, is, is black satirical voices. The, the, the Munya Chawana guy on, online is, is brilliant and, and does a lot of that very, 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 very well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there seems to be too much white man behind a desk saying, oh, and this is what happened in the news, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it, but it's just, it's just having new voices because I think that will stimulate and create different formats because it, it just it feels a little bit dead to me at the moment. But, that's, but there's so much good stuff. Partridge, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, uh, Chris Morris's, all Chris Morris's stuff was brilliant. So yeah, they, they, these people are out there. It's not, it's not as if we don't have good satirists right. now. Josh, Barry, thank you very much for Rafe uh, and also thanks for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Mate, 
bloody good effort. Really, really well done. Seriously, that was uh, that was great. A really good try. You need to be a bit more practical with it there, you know? You need a bit more sort of enthusiasm and, and go for it. I mean, I've done a lot of uh, interviewing myself over the years uh, with Oxford Polo and uh, I know what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, you'll get there, mate. Keep trying, keep going for it. <laughs>